Ceridian creates innovative technology that organizations around the world use to attract, develop, manage, and pay their people. Its award-winning day for solution helps customers manage compliance, make better decisions, build great teams, and drive engagement with their employees. Ceridian has solutions for organizations of all sizes. Ceridian makes work life better. For more information, visit www.ceridian.com. Good morning and welcome to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. Today we're doing the annual pre-HR Tech Conference show with Gina Killey. I think we've been doing this for about 75 years now, right, Gina? Yeah, I'm afraid so, John. <laughs> it's it's terrifying. So, so um, well, why don't we start by getting you to... Um, it, reintroduce yourself. You've been on the show a bunch of times, but I think there might be like one or two people out in the world who still are not aware of the awesome, wonderful quality of Gina Killey of the Devon Group. Uh, thank you so much for that intro. We have been in business now 24 years. I am founder and CEO of the Devon Group. Uh, we're also known as Devon PR, sometimes just Devon, and we have been specializing in the confluence of HR and technology uh, for our entire history. Uh, prior to founding the agency, of course, I was at Ceridian. Before that, I was at a company called Insight, which was actually the granddaddy of the HRMS. So I've been steeped in this category for many years, too many to mention by, by a specific number at this point. Right, right, and I know you started working when you were six, so it's it's, uh, exactly. it's astonishing <laughs> what you could accomplish in, in that short time. Um, exactly. So, so what's been going on since the last time we talked for you? Well, you know, we have seen so much innovation in the category since the last time we spoke. But, John, I have to be honest with you, we've also seen a lot of fragmentation in the category. So it's been my experience when we see that kind of fragmentation that there is a sea change coming. That sea change usually looks like a lot of M&A activity. So I'm keeping my uh, eye out for that. Um, I'm curious if you're if you're seeing the same. Well, I think I think there's a sea change, and the sea change has to do with um, <clears throat> uh, software isn't what it used to be. Uh, I think I think you might take that a bunch of different ways, but the uh, the 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 thing that's happening is it's becoming possible to make software deliver more value and take less user time, and so that's going on. It's getting called artificial intelligence, it's going to be called machine learning, but the truth is that software is is growing in capacity and is starting to be able to actually solve problems rather than document them. And that's 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 the interesting sea change I'm I'm witnessing. Yeah, I, I you know and I think that's just to offer an analog to that trajectory, we saw that in the hardware category years ago, uh, as we saw, you know, the evolution of of the mainframe to the PC, and and now, of course, where we all sit with smartphones that have enormous capacity. So, so we are seeing smarter apps in HR, uh, certainly those that are delivering a consumer grade experience, and I think that's also a sea change for HR. 
Yeah, I, I actually don't think that that's necessarily gonna hold. You know, you know, it depends. If you're if you're filling out your time card, you want it to be a consumer grade experience. If you're trying to understand who to promote, maybe you don't really want it to be a cartoon. Maybe you want it to be a thoughtful thing. Maybe that requires more data and more complexity. So, so yeah. I, I, I'm not sure that the, that the I, I think the consumer grade thing is is over applied, and people are dumbing down things that shouldn't be dumbed down just because that's the fad, not because it's fun. You know, I, I have to agree with you. I think trivializing things like performance management, succession planning, some of these uh, really monumentous potentially decisions for an organization that also require linkage to other functions in the HR continuum, such as, as how you're recruiting in the first place. Uh, I think that um, they do require a number of different data inputs, but there's also that human element that might involve coaching, that might involve informal learning, uh, certainly um, certainly uh, manager intervention, peer-to-peer recognition. Uh, so there are quite a few data points that would go into making those kinds of decisions. So, so I'm going to bounce this back a little bit. I, I, think, I think what you've established in the last couple of minutes is just how broad your understanding of the marketplace is. What we didn't get to is who's your customer because, because there are lots and lots of ways that people can get help dealing with communications. There are not lots and lots of people who know what they're doing. Um, <laughs> so let's, let's talk a little about who your customer is. Well, well, so I'm, I'm, going to hope that we fall into the latter category. (laughs) I I, I tried to say that you established that pretty well. (laughs) You know, I I think that uh, given the, the, the marketing science that we're involved in, which of course is is under the umbrella of public relations, but public relations has changed vastly since I went into to PR as a business. Uh, we are now, of course, heavily involved in reputation management, corporate communications, social media, identifying who the audience is for the different messages, making sure the messages are layered and timely. So our customers are the vendors. Uh, so we are in a B2B uh, marketing category. However, if we were not connected directly to the economic buyer, I don't think we could do our jobs as well as we do here at Devon. Uh, it's really important that we be talking to the CHROs, the directors of talent acquisition, the payroll managers. And so we've always gone out of our way to make sure that we have that chain of communication directly to them. So we're hearing what is important to the buyer, what their pain points are, what their expectations are. And it also helps us gauge, John, when the vendor community is so far ahead of where the economic buyer is that we're essentially going to create revenue gaps uh, in in our clients' uh, business plans. And that's very valuable information to our clients as well. That's great. So, so is, is there a gener- do you have a generic view about whether the industry is in sync with the client or ahead of the client right now? 
Well, I heard you mention artificial intelligence a few moments ago, and uh, and that's a topic I like to wax endlessly on. Uh, and 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 I love that software has become uh, so robust and so meaningful in the category. But I am a bit appalled at what people are throwing over the transom labeled as AI because it's not AI. It's a chatbot, or you know, it's 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 a rather rudimentary uh, if if you take AI in in a broad definition, it it would be, you know, at the most rudimentary end of the spectrum. Are you seeing similar, similar trends? Um, So, so so I I am on record saying something approximately like, be wary of a vendor who claims to have AI, because if they'll lie to you about that, they'll lie about anything. Um, (laughs) So that's, that's, that's my that's my thing. Now that, that doesn't mean that there's not smart out there. It's that it's that somebody who's busy calling their product AI is is busy telling you something that doesn't matter. And they are generally telling you something that doesn't matter because they don't know what their product actually does and what its what its purpose is in your life. And so they wanna they wanna talk about the mechanics of what they're doing and they exaggerate and and in this, in business-to-business marketing, exaggeration is not good. It, marketing integrity is the foundation of trust and relationships. I think that's the business you're in. Um, and so, so if you start with an exaggeration, if you begin the relationship with hyperbole, it's going to fall apart. And that's 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 why I am concerned about the label AI being applied to stuff. And the people who actually understand AI, I, I spent, I'm, I'm just finishing up a report. I spent time in Toronto, at MIT, down at Stanford, talking to people who understand AI. And, and when they use the term, they're talking about an intelligence that you can communicate with that doesn't have a script for a set of answers. And um, there's nothing like that out there. Nothing. Yeah. You know, though, John, in defense of the vendor community and, and, you know, I hear what you're saying about trust and trust is is a key component in brand management uh, and sustaining a brand. I think there's a lot of pressure out there right now for vendors to check the AI box. I think it's it's cool and it's sexy and they're feeling a lot of pressure to check that box when they're in RFP situations. You know, there's also a lot of pressure for people to wear very short shorts, and I don't know if you noticed this, summer, but there were like a lot of people who shouldn't uh, wearing very very short shorts. And so, so if you can't understand whether or not you look good in a pair of very short shorts, maybe maybe you should put them on. <laughs> you, you know, so. <laughs> That does bring us to a, an entirely different topic, and that is what levels of self-awareness truly exist in this world? <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's that's the interesting thing about the vendor community. I don't mean to disparage the great work that's going on, um, because there is great work. People are doing unimaginable things. There's, there are a number of things that people are be planning to see at HR Tech this year, but the smart ones aren't calling it AI. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's just, right? 
Yeah, and that, you know, so you you've just brought me to exactly what we hear from the buyer, and that is, help me solve business problems. They don't say, give me AI. That that's not the way they're coming at it. They want you to either solve a business problem, or show them how they can expand the business uh, with an eye on the future. And so, if AI is part of that solution, then it makes sense. But to lead with that message. The, the the receptors are not in place in the buyer community to really understand what that's going to bring them. So so let me tell you about a couple of the big picture stories. I am really fascinated. Kronos, who you wouldn't expect to be a leader in this space, is doing amazing things. And here's the kind of thing that they're doing. Kronos is a is a um, um, attendance, timekeeping, payroll business. And so if you have a complex operation, multiple retail stores or a light manufacturing facility, and you want to schedule a shift, the Kronos tool will examine the shift that you've scheduled and give you an assessment of the likelihood that the, that the people on the shift are going to show up on time for work and, and take a look at all of the rest of the schedules and all of the rest of the overtime stuff and recommend a better shift structure for that particular shift on that particular day when you're doing the scheduling. That's useful. That's really, really useful. And they can do things like notice patterns in time card completion that tell you when the supervisor is cutting minutes off of people's time cards in order to meet the supervisor's financial goals which happens a lot in retail. And so, so that kind of hyper-intelligence in aware algorithms that are monitoring the flow of the work inside of the tool, it's not AI, but it's really useful. It's really, really useful. The, the people at Ultimate Software um, are taking quantitative and qualitative employee feedback and making it the foundation of the entire system. So it's not, it's not AI, but it is a model that informs every decision that you make inside of the HR construct with insight about how it impacts employees, right? So you get more nuanced decision-making because there's like a, a little, angel on one shoulder and a little devil on the other shoulder telling you a little bit more about how to make the decision. Those are the kinds of things that are powerful and interesting and not AI. You know, I'm, I'm listening to you carefully and I, I'm thinking of a term you and I threw out earlier in our conversation and that's sea change. What you've just described uh, although some people don't find things like time and attendance exciting or, or payroll management exciting, it is it is making a change to those applications that are, of course, pervasive across the enterprise uh, that really result in either cost savings or, or uh, you know, growth opportunities. I also think your example of retail is particularly relevant because models are now very much that the store manager uh, owns that store, owns the performance of that store, owns responsibility for hiring and firing in that store. And so anything you can do to empower that store manager 
also means you're going to be able to to hire um, uh, the right personality, the right skills for that store as well to manage it. Uh, so, so I think you're talking about things that have tentacles into many different aspects of the workforce. Oh, it's it's really cool. And there's more like that. One of the things that's interesting about this particular sea change, it's an important point, um, is that the big incumbent providers, you, you know, um, uh, Workday, Cornerstone, Ultimate Software, Ceridian, ADP, Oracle, SAP, the big incumbent providers have an advantage this time that they didn't have in the beginning of the web. And, and the advantage is they have data. And all of the startups have to figure out how to get data. So the, the uh, and what matters in this next generation of stuff is what you do with the data and how you make the data help you get better over time. And, and so, so I, would have handicapped every other technical change that's gone on in favor of upstarts. And a lot of small companies became big companies in the first couple of rounds of, of digitization. This time, I think, I think there's a slight advantage to the incumbents. There are guys like, do you know Mike Carden from Summer 60 Must? I sure do. We helped uh, Sonar Six launch in the U.S. years ago. So, so, so they are. Uh, Mike is Mike is building a company called Joyous, which is an employee communications operation, um, and he spent an enormous amount of his time in the beginning of the company figuring out how to develop software that generated fake data that was useful enough for his algorithms to crunch because they couldn't get the data and they needed millions of data points to prove that the software worked. And that's the kind of, I mean, he's, he's creative enough to win, um, uh, but that's the kind of problem that startups are facing in general. They can't get anywhere without data. Yeah, I, 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 listen, I know that data is near and dear to your heart. I, I don't get quite as excited about it as you do, and I'll, I'll tell you why. <laughs> Um, the point you've just raised is very legitimate. That is, you know, there have to be, there has to be enough uh, data to be significant, and there has to be a historical perspective to benchmark against. Otherwise, it's it's meaningless. But what I find even even more important is the interpretation of the data within the business. And it's been my experience that that many people, and I'm not really talking specifically about HR professionals, we see this in our practice across a number of different titles. Um, people are like, okay, I have the data now. Wh what do I do with this? What does this mean? How do I interpret it? Uh, or do I just slant it in a way that I can go into my next meeting and look like a hero? And, and I'm curious what you're seeing as the data leaves the product and then goes into the interpretation phase. Well, it's a it's a great question, and and I think that 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 you're you're describing exactly the place where service delivery varies across all of the vendors who are doing something in the space. So, so 
at one extreme, you have companies like Humanize in, in Boston that does network analysis and refuses to make any recommendations. And at the other extreme, there's a whole host of companies whose entire output is recommendations, not, not data at all, but, but a summary and then a suggestion that you do this or that. Like in resume shortlisting, um, it's a decision. You get out of the machine, you yeah. put in a thousand resumes and out at the bottom you get 10. Um, <laughs> and, and that's a set of decisions. And, and what concerns me about that end of the spectrum is the vendors all say that those are recommendations, not decisions, and um, users are going to behave just as you described. They're going to take what comes out of the machine and run with it. And that's where you start to get real ethical problems in, in execution and a sea change in whether or not the software vendor has liability for the outcome. Well, I think you're raising a very interesting point in terms of liability for the outcomes. I, I think you have to look at what particular function the vendor in which the vendor is making a recommendation. If you're talking about stack ranking candidates through, uh, through AI in recruiting, hopefully you've put the criteria in place for the job. Uh, you know, and baked it in, so so you are getting meaningful outcomes, uh, and and perhaps that's too simplistic, an example, but um, but I I think you're raising a very interesting point about liability. Well, and and, and I, I got to tell you that the idea that that a a machine sort designed to hit a mathematical equation. Um, <clears throat> is precisely liable to not give you the candidates that you want. And so the question becomes, how do you argue with that? And and if you find a candidate who is rank, graded as 60, but as a recruiter, you think they're the best, how in the world do you argue with the machine? Right? Yeah. And so, so, yeah. so I do think, I do think that stack ranking in recruiting is precisely a good example because if it's wrong and you've spent two years figuring out that it's wrong, you've got a whole chunk of your workforce that's bad. Yeah, yeah. Right? And, yeah, so, that, and so, who's, so yeah. whose fault is that? And, and where, do you go, where do you go with that lawsuit? Straight back to the ranker. So, so you know, John, I, this is all, you know, I was an art major in college. Uh, this is back on the baccalaureate level. I, I, I went on to get an MBA and became, you know, a business person afterwards. But but it, it, it's all kind of giving me hives that our whole world is becoming very binary and that ideation is no longer part of it. Um, are we totally, are we just kind of as a workforce evolving into all data scientists and and no creative types anymore? Oh, uh, we'll get over that. The, the 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 you know the the tyranny of of um, the that'd be a great title for a book. The tyranny of the algorithm. The the inflexibility <laughs> that comes uh, with a pure evidence based decision making set is is a very difficult thing. 
Um, and we're going to have to deal with that. And there are very serious ethical issues. At the same time, this is the beginnings of what people have been very afraid of. A, a machine that makes an evidence-based decision is very hard to argue with. You, you know, if you, yeah. if you drive down the road using Google Maps, um, and it tells you to turn left, and you're in the middle of a construction site where you can't turn left anymore, it's a kind of a bewildering experience. And and all you can get out of Google Maps is another insistence that you turn left. <laughs> well, you know, and I, I know you know uh, the area we're located in quite well, having, having uh, had a stint as a Jersey boy for a bit. But a great example is uh, in our news today, uh, a, a tractor trailer drove on the boardwalk here at the Jersey Shore because that's what Google Maps told him to do. And and so, you know, it really scares me that we are, are kind of baking out the critical thinking skills that people need to have to say, wait a minute, this isn't right. <laughs> I need to I need to you know, I need to take control now. And at what point does that happen? Well, I'll tell you what, in, in the 30 companies that I've evaluated in this study, only one of them had a formal mechanism for solving problems that the learning system got wrong. Right. And so, and so, so it isn't even a design consideration uh, yet. It will be. It will be. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's definitely an area of concern and, and one that uh, the vendors listening in on today's call will want to be sensitive to because there will be some blowback in terms of the, the, the direction we're currently marching in. So, so it's definitely a consideration that needs to be thought through. Yeah, so, so, so we have managed to actually avoid talking about HR tech today. Uh, um, what's the one big thing that you think everybody should pay attention to going into HR tech? Oh, I, you know, I don't think I can cite one thing. I will cite several things very quickly. How's that? Um, okay. we, That's one. We're in Vegas. We're in Vegas again, 10th through the 13th. We're at the Venetian this year, which is a beautiful property. Uh, we start out on the Tuesday with the Women in HR Tech session, and um, our keynote there is Pat Milligan, who's the global leader at Mer global business leader at Mercer, and she's fantastic. Um, she's going to present when women thrive, businesses thrive. I think that's very important research for Mercer. Um, Laszlo Bach. Uh, you know, ex ex head of people operations at at Google uh, is going to be our opening keynote on Wednesday, the 11th, and then we have uh, a number of uh, ex uh, the exhibitors, uh, record number, a number of demo rooms. Uh, we have some very exciting sessions, and of course, there are always the parties. Believe it or not, that's the call I get most frequently. People want to know. Who's giving the parties and how do you get an invitation to the parties? So it promises to be a terrific event again. Yeah, and, and I would suggest that on, on the opening Tuesday, you can come see me give a talk about what you should and shouldn't miss at the show. Um, I, I am for the second year giving an orientation to people who haven't been to the show before about where to go and what to do. Um, well, that makes life so much easier to know that people can go to your session and, and really get a roadmap 
and and not have to you know be reading the the conference brochure guide uh, from cover to cover. So that that's good to know, John. It's it's a it's it's something that I decided to do because I think I'm like a lot of people and never adequately plan for when I go to one of these things. And when you get there and there are what what did you say five hundred vendors some some enormous yeah. pile yeah. of vendors yeah. and seventy yeah. uh, sessions to choose from. Uh, it, it's it's overwhelming and you don't maximize. Uh, the benefit if you don't have some way of planning. So, so the entire idea of the show has been good enough to let me do this orientation, so that people can maximize their, their takeaway from it. Well, um, so so I will see you in Las Vegas. If people want to find you in Las Vegas, where is the best place to find you? <laughs> I am tethered to the press and analyst room. Uh, we open on Tuesday. We stay open through Friday. It's a very, very busy room. It seats 400. Uh, we have many CEOs sitting in that room taking press and analyst briefings throughout the, the duration of the show. And that's where you can find me and uh, several other Devonites. That's great. And I'll be I'll be chained in that little dungeon as well. Um, so... <laughs> Would you take a moment and reintroduce yourself just to make sure people know who we're talking to and, and, and tell us how to get a hold of you in general? Thank you, John. So my name is Jean. My last name is Achille. I'm the founder and CEO of an HR technology PR firm called the Devon Group. The best way to get in touch is by emailing me, and that's Jean, J-E-A-N-N-E, at devonpr.com. That's great. Well, thanks for taking the time to do this, Gene. Our annual tradition continues. Um, I really appreciate you making this work. Always a pleasure, John. Thank you so much. And, and thanks, everybody, for listening in. You've been listening to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. We've been talking with Gene Achille, and we will see you here next week. Bye-bye now. Mm-hmm.